Guys, we're in the middle of a, a series called Habits, Small Changes, and Big Results. And, and here's the really, really good news, guys, is to have large change, you don't necessarily have to do something monumental, something crazy. I mean, there is a monumental change in your life the moment where you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That's big time. But as for spiritual growth, it happens incrementally. And the good news for you and I is it happens with just a small change that leads to big results. And so this morning, I'm going to give you lots of ideas. If you've got a family today, I'm going to give you a fantastic habit that could change your family. I promise you. And so this morning, we're going to a text uh, in Corinthians. Now, you know anything about Scripture, you know that Corinth was a pretty messed up place. And um, made up of messed up people. And yet Paul believes that they can change. And in fact, Paul says here, and let me let you in on a secret. God wants you to win. He wants you to win. He wants you to win in your life. He wants you to win in your family. He wants you to win in eternity where one day you will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. And Paul understands, like we're understanding, is the key are small habits. In fact, if you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, you'll find out that he is obsessed with athletics. And he thinks athletics is one of the greatest analogies to spiritual growth. And like I say, he's writing this church in Corinth. They have some big-time games in Corinth. Second only to the Olympic Games in Athens. And man, they, they had some incredible races. And they were completely focused. If you were chosen to compete in these games, you gave up 10 months of your life to prepare. Just not to freak you out, but to tell you how serious they were about winning. They didn't want anything encumbering them in a race, so they actually ran naked. All right? Which is, if you think about it, a really good motivation to stay in the lead. All right? (laughs) I mean, they are after this. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and let's read verses 24 through 27, and hear what Paul says. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Some translations say there, run in such a way to win. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. Older translations say, I buffet my body. My my favorite rendition of that was, I buffet my body. Okay? That sounds more encouraging. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Now let's talk about a few things here real quickly. First of all, what is Paul's goal? His goal is for people to run to win. Listen, God's not coming to your life to make you a loser. God's not coming to your life to steal your joy. He's came to give it to you to the very fullest. Now, what does it mean to win? Here's the key word. And we're going to have to go back some verses to see it. It means to be blessed. We're going to stop just for a moment 
and do a word study on the word blessed. But when Paul's talking about this in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24, what you've got to understand is that this is not disconnected from what he just said, okay? Go back with me for a moment and let's read verses 19 through 23 and see what Paul sees as the blessed life. Though I'm free and belong to no one, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To under the laws under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, Paul sums it up here. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Because Paul is intent on this mission. As a church, these are some of our thematic verses. Is that we're willing to make changes and to do things to reach people who don't know Christ. And Paul says, when you do this, listen to verse 23. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul says, when I join God on this mission to change the world, to bring heaven to earth, that's when I experience the blessings of God. Now let's step back just for a moment and let's study this word blessed. Because it's a lot deeper than maybe you might think, okay? Let me give you a definition. The word blessed means this, to achieve a state of joy and contentment in life that's beyond all cares, trials, and even death. And sometimes our translations um, translate like in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, blessed are, they say happy, and that, that's part of it. But, but it's bigger than that. It's reaching a different level. Now, if you read the history of the word, at first the word in Greek mythology is only applied to the gods. The Greek gods were above everyone else. They were not subject to the hassles and temptations and problems of life. That's the first way it was used. And then second, it began to be used commonly to think about wealthy people. That if you had enough money and you had enough power, you wouldn't have to deal with the little bitty things that the average person has to deal with. So the wealthy were at a higher level where they had enough resources to not deal with some of the problems of life that average people dealt with. So that's the way the word was used before Jesus. And then Jesus came and turned everything on his head when he said... Blessed are the people who follow him. It's the Jesus followers who are blessed. In fact, what he says about that is it's not the wealthy. Listen to the Beatitudes. It's those that are poor. It's those that are mourn. It's those that are meek. It's those who are thirsty. What's he saying? To be blessed, you don't have to have everything together down here. To be blessed is to live in a state where you're above the cares, trials, and even death in life. Why? Because you've got this relationship with God. I mean, does it take you away from trials? Does it take you away from problems? No. You have them like everybody else. But you're on a higher plane because those aren't the things that count. The worst thing that could happen is you die, which would be what? The best thing that could happen. 
So when Paul says, I want to be blessed, that's what he's talking about. He separates even blessings from wealth. And so today, guys, every one of us sitting in here has an opportunity to be like Paul and to be blessed, and as Paul would say, to win. So let's go back for a moment. The goal is to run to win. Win is to be blessed. Now, what he talks about in this passage is the process. And NIV says what you got to have to win is strict training. Other translations say self-control, self-discipline. What does it mean to be disciplined? That's not a word we normally like, right? To be disciplined simply means I choose what I want most more than what I want now. Okay? There's something bigger that I want than just meeting my cravings right now. And so to be disciplined means, you know what? I want to be in shape. I don't want to be overweight. And so I choose not to eat the dessert in front of me because I actually want something more. That's discipline. And when Paul's talking about these races, he's talking about dedicating yourself for 10 months to exercise this kind of self-control. Now, guys, in our, ha- in our series about habits... You can read all kinds of things about how long does it take to develop a habit. My favorite is a lot of people say it takes 21 days. Others say it takes 40 days. If I can be honest with you, the best research says it takes 66 days. Okay? That if you do something for 66 days, it's going to be a habit from then on out. And that's what's happening with these runners. Guys, listen. One thing we found out in this series is goals are not enough. Anybody can set goals. In athletics, everyone wants to win when the lights come on. But we recognize that the key to that is what happened behind the scenes. And we love to watch stars like LeBron James or, in my day, Michael Jordan. But did you watch the 30 for 30 special called The Dance? Did you see the intensity and the work behind the scenes? What looked so natural on the court took hours and hours and hours of preparation. So we like to look at the Michael Jordans and the Tom Brady's and go, wow, look how natural and easy. It's not natural. It's not easy. It's because of preparation. And guys, for us to live like Jesus... Everybody says, I want to live like Jesus. Everybody says, I want to go to heaven. The key is, am I willing to undergo this strict training? I want to land on this for a moment. And I'll invite one of my favorite people up here, Jerry Green. Jerry, would you come and join us? Jerry has coached for a long, long time. So I want him to help us with this analogy. You know, when your best sport is ping pong, you need help, okay? So, Jerry, come help us out a little bit. Um, and Jerry, you've, you've coached for years. You're almost a coach of coaches. What's the difference in your mind between trying and training? Because I think a lot of times we say, yeah, buddy, I'm really convicted. I'm going to go try hard. What's the difference? I, I've never, am I? Yes, you, I've, never had a, uh, I've never had a player in any sport that didn't try. You know, I hear young coaches yell at them sometimes, you're not trying, you're not, they're trying. Um, they want to win. I mean, everybody wants to win. It's uh, the difference in trying and training to me is the difference in my golf game, where like I went out yesterday, but I hate to practice golf. <laughs> I do no training, but I love to play. 
and I get the exact same result every time. Mm -hmm. Not very good. And I heard a story one time about Jack Nicklaus at the British Open. They looked out and saw this one guy out there in 48-degree weather with a drizzling rain and saying, who is that out there practicing? And it was, of course, the greatest golfer ever. He's the only one out there in that rain practicing. And he said, I missed an eight iron on the 16th hole today, and it cost me the lead in the tournament. And the next day, he hits an eight iron into the 18th hole to win the British Open. Mm. And nobody else was practicing. That's training. Training is actually mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually preparing, doing the things that you have to do mm -hmm. so you can win. I think one of our problems is spirit. We understand that there. But spiritually, we think, okay, I just come to church. I learned something. I want to go try harder. And, and then it doesn't work. So in, in coaching, what is the importance of teaching good habits? Well, at the most crucial moment in whatever it is, life, at the toughest times, um, at the most crucial moment of the game, your habits are going to be revealed. It, what your habits were are going to be seen by everyone. Mm. And it's, it's too late then if your habits are bad. Um, I think of last night, if you watch the basketball game, the Duke yeah. game, the guy from North Carolina steps to the line and it was like he was in the gym by himself and he made both free throws and the guy from Duke stepped up there and you could tell it was too big for him. You could and see in his eyes. He had worked really hard, I know, but in the biggest moments, it, it's going to be tough. Uh, if I could just say one more thing, sure. like it, I've spent a lot of my career working with pitchers and I chart pitches in bullpens and you want a certain percentage of pitches to be strikes. Fastball, 80%, breaking balls, 60%. And you chart that. But if it's 80% in the bullpen, at the biggest moment, it's going to be 60%. It's going to be a 20% reduction. Because you have to do it enough where it's natural on the field. And even then, it's going to go down some. But if you don't train, if you don't develop that habit of doing the same thing over and over, mm. then you're not going to have any success. So it sounds like to me that there's a lot of repetition involved. So when you, what is the goal of training, all this training, all this repetition? I think you've already hit on, once you hit a little stronger, is what's the goal of that by the time you enter the game? I think it reduces the clutter. I think it streamlines what's important. It, you don't have enough time to do 500 repetitions of every single thing that has to do with a baseball game or a football game. Your favorite coach calls it rat poison. There are so many distractions to what's important. Mm -hmm. If you have, if you're going to do, if you determine that something is really, really important, you're going to do it over and over and over. Right. And as coaches, when I was young, I, I tried to like do a thousand things, you know, to get everything perfect. Well, there are only a few things, and some of the more senior coaches in here can tell you, Doug and Tim and some of you guys can, the older you get, the less becomes absolutely important. Well, repetition of those things that help you win or lose help you streamline what's important, whether it's in your life or in the game to win, you find out what's really, really important through repetitions. And so would the idea be with the repetition, by the time you get the game, it's automatic and you don't have to think about it? Absolutely. That, it, the more natural it comes to you, if you think about the things you do in life, if you're driving a car, I doubt you have to look down and see to put it in drive. You've right. done it so many times over and over, you just put it in drive. And there are a lot of things like that in life. Well, 
athletics is no different. The more you do it, the better you get at it. If you do it right, the better you get at it, and the more likely it is that at the toughest moment it's going to It's just going to happen successful. more natural. Mm-hmm. Guys, thank Jerry for sharing with us this morning. Great words. I do, I do appreciate you bringing Nick Saban up. Uh, the process I wanted to talk about, but I knew you were a Georgia fan and I'd get in trouble if I brought it up this year. So thank you. So we see here the goal is to run to win. The win is to be blessed. The process is this training to a point it becomes natural. If you study habits, the idea of a habit is that you don't have to use mental energy on the habit. It frees you to think about other things because you just do the habit naturally. And the focus, according to Paul, is that there be purpose in every step. He, he says, I don't run aimlessly. I'm not just out there running anywhere. I like this cartoon. There's a conversation in Mars between two Martians. They're looking down on the earth, and one says the other, what are these people doing on the earth? And the other says, well, they're going. And the other says, well, where are they going? And he says, oh, they're not going anywhere. They're just going. And guys, a lot of us, that's a description of our life. We're just going, but there's no direction. And then finally, the key here, I hope you notice this, is humility. Paul's given all this instruction. He says, guess what, guys? I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to Paul. I don't want to miss out myself. Now think about that just for a second. The apostle Paul says, after preaching to others, I don't want to be disqualified from the prize. Now, I'm not assuming here Paul's talking about salvation. I think he's talking about living this full life for Christ. And just think about this. If the apostle Paul could get to a place where he could be disqualified, what does that say to us? Because one of our problems is the only person we really know is ourself. And the problem we have, at least I have, is that I assume the way I do things is right. How about you? You assume the way I do things is right, right? (laughs) You just sort of assume the way you do things is right, and through your life, for good or bad, we've all developed all these habits, and they just come natural, good or bad, and I just think probably they're right. And what I need is the humility of the Apostle Paul to say, you know, is there a possibility I've developed some habits that really aren't that good? So let's talk about this for a little bit. Let's get really practical our last few minutes. How do we make small changes that give big results? First of all, I'm going to give you something to do with your family. If I could promise you this morning that I will give you a habit that will make your children smarter, stronger, healthier, and happier, what would you give me? Stronger, smarter, healthier, and happier. One habit will do it. Listen closely. Here's, here's our habit of the week. Family meals together. Th- this is absolutely crazy if you do the research. Family meals together. Let, let me just give you a list of what research says happens when a family consistently eats together. They're not eating fast food in the SUV. They're not just on the run. They're actually sitting at a table with their phones to the side, having a family meal. Listen to all the things it does. It reduces eating disorders. It improves grades. 
It expands vocabulary. It reduces teen pregnancy. It reduces alcohol and drug use. In these situations, your teenagers will learn something, your children, that they don't learn in this world, conversation skill. And it actually will reduce stress, and even if they suffer from asthma. Just show, show that list if you would. Next thing there, if you got it. I mean, it's quite, just look at, let's look them, click away. Something so small is just eating together and being a family. One psychologist says this, there are few magic bullets in life, but daily family meals come close. Now guess what? And I hope we're the exception. Only 30% of American families consistently eat meals together. No wonder we're seeing what we're seeing in our culture. Guys, as a church, we are always looking to a way to help families. That's why we do marriage seminars and parenting seminars and marriage classes and parenting classes. But this morning, I can boil it down to one thing that will make a big difference. Just clearing your schedule to sit down and actually eat together. Now, this is not the first generation to, to be challenged by this. When I was growing up, when TV first was coming on and color TV, we were all afraid everybody was going to watch TV, eating their TV dinners, which were awful, you know, and, and not interact as a family. And today, we've, we've got not only the TV and internet, we've got these little phones that most of us take with us everywhere, including to the table. And it's an incredibly big mistake. So my challenge to you is, are you willing, if you've got children in your home, I want to make a real specific challenge today. If you've got children in your home, are you willing to fight to have family meals together? Now, here's what the statistics say. And we're going to take breakfast, lunch, and dinner, put it all together, Okay. The tipping point for your week is between breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you have at least five meals together. Now, that's a challenge. Five meals. Before that, it doesn't do as much good. But if you get to at least five meals together, and again, we can spread it out through weekends, breakfasts, lunches, dinners, five meals together. I want to ask you, if you have children in your home and you're willing to make that commitment, would you stand so I can pray for you? Because I know this is a gutsy call. I want you to respond right now by standing if you're willing to do that. This is so big, it's worth us stopping. Anybody else? At least five meals a week. You're, that's, that's the standard you can go for. You may not get there perfectly, but that's what you're going for. Let me pray. God, Lord, um, thank you for reminding us of these habits that make a difference. I thank you for these families that are standing. Because, Lord, I know what they're being challenged to do is not easy. It's not the American way. And we've cluttered our schedule. And we think we're doing our kids favors by letting them be involved in every sport and every routine and every practice and running around crazy in our cars, grabbing meals left and right. And, Lord, we all know there's a place for those things. But there's nothing, it seems, that can take the place of the family table. So give us the courage to carve out that time, to, to, to walk out of this Sunday morning aware of the difference it will make. And bless every family standing. And God, I pray they're just going to have some great 
great meals together this week. It'll become a habit. A habit that will bless their children unlike few other things. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. Now, we're going to close out by reviewing some of the habits we've been through the last few weeks. And I'm going to add a few more. And my goal today is not for you to do every one of the things we've suggested, but for you to to pick a couple. Now, we've talked over the last few weeks about fasting. And uh, I I love that. I look over here, I see my buddy Josh Horton, who chose to, to skip lunch every day to spend more time with God. And I know from Josh, he's not been perfect. There have been days where maybe he skipped lunch, but ran errands. Other days, maybe he couldn't quite go there. But most days, he's done it. And I can only imagine the change that's bringing, okay? So that may have been one. We've talked about, this is my favorite, knees before feet. In the morning when you wake up, go to your knees before you go to your feet. That's a, that's a game changer. Love doing that even this morning. Bible before phone. Don't let the world set your agenda. Open eyes to serve. As you're praying, ask God to open up an opportunity for you to serve someone in his name. And then we talked about this one, which has been so easy the last few weeks. Time in nature with God, okay? So I ask you, first of all, which one or couple of those are you already starting to make into habit? And then today I'm going to give you um, five more ideas. And again, just, just look and think of the one that works for you. They won't all work. Uh, first one here is Thanksgiving to close your day. Something I've tried to make a habit of for years of my life is when I get in bed, what I rehearse in my mind are all the good things that happen in the day. And thank God. Because if you're like me, I'm tempted to get in bed and think of all the bad things, right? That makes it tough. I, I struggle with sleep enough without thinking about bad things. So first thing you do when you get in bed is just think, walk through your day of all the really cool things that happen. Another one I think is really powerful is um, Christian music, all right? And you can see all these up here already. I've heard so many people say the difference that just listening to Christian music instead of secular music, it's amazing the stuff we justify, or sports radio, or news talk, or whatever it is, can make such a big difference in your your life. And we have some great Christian stations in our area. Here's one I I read about this week. This is really cool. See a flaw, say a prayer. Say that with me. See a flaw, say a prayer. In other words, if I'm out in life, and I see someone, and they do something that I know is not good, or not, maybe not good or bad, but gets on my nerves, or it's a, a flaw in their personality, instead of me dwelling on the flaw, pray for that person right there on the spot. Because sometimes my mind, you can come in a service like this, I guarantee you, and you can notice the flaws. You can notice my microphone was all messed up, you know? And, and if I'm not careful, we'll ruin the rest of the service, all right? You can just notice the little small things and you focus on that instead of praying that Buddy would get his act together, okay? So, so take a moment just to pray about that. Let me give you a couple more. And this, this is a tough one. I don't know that I could do this one. No news is good news. I've, I've talked to so many people who've completely cut themselves off watching news. And, and they say their life has been unbelievably changed. And then one more here, I think, that contributes to all of them is just take the risk of being open. Most of us, especially us men, we live, we live pretty closed lives. 
People, we don't let people in. And, and, and I'm not telling you just to become an open book to anybody. That would be unwise. But to people you trust and people you love, learn to be more open about your life. Even use this series as a talking point to talk about habits. So I've given you a bunch of them up there. Now, on, on the bottom, to supercharge this, you need to add accountability. Okay? Because if it does take 66 days, that's going to take me a while. It would really be good is if someone were asking me, just offhand, how, did you get on your knees for your feet this morning? Are you really skipping NBC Nightly News? Yes. I mean, what, what, what are you doing? Okay? Because now, the word accountability, we don't like, and we certainly don't like the word accountability partner. So, so let me just change that for a second. I, I think what we're really asking you to look for is a friend who cares. A friend who really cares if you're winning in Christ. Because what's crazy, guys, is we do understand this process in every area of life. If you're going to be good at athletics, you want a good coach. If you want to get in shape, you'd love to have a trainer. If you want to learn to play the piano, you're going to get a teacher. I mean, you name it. In every other area of life, we understand it takes someone else if you want to be your very best. And like Jerry said, if, you, if, if you just your goal is just to go out there and play, you're not going to do it. And guys, here's the bad thing Paul, I think, is trying to address here. Is that so often spiritually, we miss it. We think it should just happen. And guys, nothing just happens. So all, all we're asking to do is not monumental is pick up two or three good habits and find someone to just say, hey, can we ask each other once a week about this and pray about it? You see, because when you got that friend, it, it's, it's like going to work out. People always work out when they got a workout partner. They do better because you got some accountability. You got someone meeting you there. You got somebody pushing you a little bit. And so find that friend to talk to. Now, the best way to do this, guys, is look for someone you're already close to or you're developing a relationship with that you trust and just give them permission. You know? I'm Jeremy Vest, lives down the street from me. Jeremy, would you start asking me when you see me, am I getting on my knees? Am I opening my Bible before my phone? Just, 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 just ask me. And guys, that, that's big. Now, here's the really exciting thing I want to close on. When Paul's talking about sports, he makes a comment at the beginning of that passage that we all run to win, and what he says here is only one gets the prize. Here's the good news for us. When you run in the Christian race, everyone wins. Everyone wins. Unless you just turn around and walk off and drop off, drop out, everybody wins. We're not in com- competition with each other. We're together. My favorite story about this happened decades ago. I've been telling the story for probably 30, 40 years. In the Special Olympics in San Diego, California, there was a race, a mile race between four Down syndrome boys. And, and the, the gun went off, and man, it's a packed crowd because it's the national championship. 
And, and, and the boys start taking off, and of course it's sort of slow to watch, but boy, they're giving it everything they have, and, and the crowd's pretty excited. And about quarter way around the track, they're all four side by side. Halfway around the track, they're still side by side. About two-thirds away around the track, one of the boys starts to get a five, ten-step lead over the others. And man, he's going at it, and the crowd is just going berserk. But about 10 feet before he gets to the finish line, he trips over his own feet, and he's laying there on the track, all skin up, and the crowd goes silent. Then something happened on that day, probably never happened in a race before, probably never happened again. I've not heard of it. When the other three boys got to where the fourth was laying on the track, they stopped, and they picked him up. And they went across that finish line, arm in arm. And my friends, that's the picture God wants to leave us. That's why God put you in this church, so that you don't do this by yourself. We go across the finish line, arm in arm. And right now, we're about to have a time of prayer. If you need to link some arms with some people right now, if you're struggling, if you've fallen out of the race, if you're stumbling, if you've got more bad habits than good habits, and today you want to you add some supercharged power, some prayer, and even a little bit of accountability. Guys, here's what we're going to do. We'd like to walk out of this place today arm in arm. Because in this race, everyone, everyone, that includes you, that includes me, everyone wins. We can help you. Come right now as we stand and sing.